0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains Randy's farewell sermon for March 27th. All right, we're good to see you here this morning. Randy and Robin Covington, our state exec, and better half are here today. Glad to have you guys with us. So sometimes a lot of pastors have what they call a last sermon file. (laughs) They keep in it everything that they wanted to say, but for some reason didn't have the courage to say. Maybe it was people they wanted to tell off. Maybe it was controversial issues that they wanted to take a stand on, but they were afraid of the pushback or the fallout from that, those type of things. Uh, But I have no last sermon file because controversial issues, I've, Express those, is this through the word of God, how, how those were, need to be addressed. And, and I don't have a grudge against anybody here. And I hope that if I've offended you, you forgive me and not hold a grudge against me. Uh, so what I do want to say is just uh, grateful for all the past expressions of appreciation that many of you have shown. Uh, so often after I preach, somebody will come up. Maybe that day or weeks later, and say, "What you said last Sunday it really changed my life. It, it made a difference in my life." And and they'll tell me how, and I'll think to myself, usually, that's not what that sermon was about. I don't know how you applied that to your problem, but what happened is there was just a maybe a short portion or maybe a portion of Scripture that penetrated their heart because that's the power of the Word of God. There are also times when I've been preaching. And I look out, and they're not very often, but, you know, I don't know, maybe once a year or something like that, or maybe less. I look out, and, and I could tell you guys are just not following. I'm doing a terrible job, I guess, because you're not engaged in that, and I think, this is not going well. I have lost it. I'm not, I'm not expressing myself very well or something, but there's just no that communication going on. But invariably... Someone will come up and say, you don't know how that sermon made a difference in my life. And I think to myself, I really don't know how that sermon made a difference in your life. Uh, but anyway, i also like to give you some uh, appreciation for your, your present uh, shows of, uh, of love and, and, and value to me. Uh, I do know this. If I'm getting sick of hearing about me, you're probably getting sick of hearing about me. But anyway... This day, to sum it up, probably best is to say that we're sad, but we're not unhappy. We're excited about what God has in the future, uh, but we're sad about leaving family. Uh, So that's kind of where we're at. So since I don't have a last sermon file, uh, what I'm going to do today is kind of share with you just some things to leave you with and some things to, uh, to help guide you in the next step in your new pastor that comes. All right? So, first of all, what I would like for you to know and think about when you think about me and think about some of the things I preached is the one thing that I emphasize every year. I made it I, on purpose. I decided every year I'm going to focus on this at least some, and I'm going to try and still it in your hearts. And that was this. The church is the body of Christ. The way you treat the church is. The way you treat Christ. Okay, some of you got it. That's why we do this every year, right? To get you down. So the church is the body of Christ. The way you treat the church is the way you treat Christ. Ephesians 1 22 and 23. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills, fills all things in every way. Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and the individual members of it. Look, you remember when Paul was on his road to Damascus and that bright light just shone on him and threw him off his horse and that voice from heaven Jesus speaks to him and says, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting?" Me. me." Yeah. He didn't say the church. He said, "Me." Scripture's clear. The church is the body of Christ, and the way you treat the church is the way you treat Christ. So when you come across people, or you might be tempted to become one yourself, that says, Oh, I'm a good Christian. I love God. I'm just not too into the church. I just don't want to go to organized religion to a church. You're deceiving yourself, or that person you're talking to is deceived because you can't separate Christ and his body. That's the bride and the bridegroom. There is no difference between the way you're treating the church and the way you treat Christ. In Revelation, uh, John gets that vision of Jesus and what's Jesus doing? He's among the lampstands, which that tells us is his churches. He's all about the church. So there's a guy named Joe who is flying, and he flew a lot of times for his job, and so he's very used to it. But this particular flight, he notices the stewardesses or the flight crew, the whole flight crew is very engaged, very on top of things. I mean, it's such a big difference to him that he grabs one of them and says, man, I know y'all are so enthusiastic. You're, you're so excited about what you're doing today. It's just never seen anything like this before. And she says, oh, you can thank the lady in 12B for that because she's in charge of all the flight crews for this airlines. The idea is this. When the person in charge is around, that should affect your behavior. So the question is, would people looking at you for the last 30 minutes while we're worshiping, Would they get the idea that you believe Jesus is in the house, that this is his body? Were you singing or were you playing with your phone? Would he get that idea from you? Here's another thing I want you to consider. Suppose in town they're building a building and they're they're, they're using bricks for the exterior. And they're about yay high with the bricks. And there's a pile of bricks down here that they're using to build that brick wall with. And you get the idea, I think I need a couple of bricks to decorate around my house. I'm going to go and just grab, they'll never miss them. I'll just go grab a couple of bricks and use that to put around a walkway in my house or something like that. Now, when you go there to get those bricks, are you going to go to the ones that are mortared together on the wall? Or are you going to get the ones that are loose but not connected? See, Satan does the same thing. Whenever he goes after somebody, he goes after those who aren't connected. There's easy targets. It's real easy to get the ones who aren't connected. Some of you, if you remember history a few centuries ago, they used to teach that the the sun revolved around the earth. And then everybody was shocked when Copernicus came along and he proved that actually the earth revolves around the sun. There are people today who believe that the world revolves around politics in Washington, D.C., or the world revolves around Wall Street, or the world revolves around Hollywood. They're going to be shocked one day to discover that all through history, the world has actually evolved around the church, Christ and his church. That's central to it. So please, get this down. The church is the body of Christ. The way we treat the church is the way we treat Christ. Secondly, Colossians 1, 17 and 18. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also headed by the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And then just a little bit later on, Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, don't focus on the world. Focus on Christ. Look at things from his viewpoint. Understand that he is to have first place in everything. See, that is what we've lost. We want to make Christ one of the things that we focus on during the week. We want to make him one of the many priorities in our life, not the priority, not the one who's above everything. That's why we need revival so bad in our Christian culture because we've lost sight of that. And listen, when you're in a place where you have lost sight that Christ is to be central, you can't pursue that and pursue other things. You can't have different agendas going on in your life. If you're going to make Christ first place in everything, guess what? If you're away from that, you want to come back to that, you have to make him first place in everything. Let me put it a different way. You first got to get the log out of your own eye before you can help others, before you can have an influence in the world. You find yourself getting angry at the world. You find yourself throwing out anger and insults on social media. You've lost sight of the fact that you're pushing away the very people that God wants to reach. Christ is no longer first place in everything. We've been focusing on revival for the past six months straight, but before that, off and on for the past couple of years because we've lost sight as a Christian culture as a whole that he is the be the one that, that is first place in every part of our lives. He is to the, the be the one that, that we look at things from his perspective. Don't lose sight of what it means to experience revival. It means you have to start doing what? Putting him back in that first place. You can't do that in other things too. That has to be your sole agenda. You got it? Say, got it. Got it. All right, good. It'll make me feel better. Now, in 2 Timothy, Paul is passing the baton on to Timothy. In chapter 1, he talks about defending the gospel against attacks from the outside and attacks from the inside. In chapter 2, he talks about enduring hardship like a good soldier. In chapter 3, he talks about how there's evil in the world and how we should be doing good to, to help overcome that evil. But in chapter 4, he focuses on preach the word. That's his his topic. And so what I want to do now is I want to to guide you not only into what you should be looking for, but what you should be praying for when it comes to your next pastor. Because Paul's giving this advice, he's passing baton on to Timothy. And so as I pass this baton on to whoever it may be, You know, this is what I want you to understand is involved. This is what you should begin praying for. Okay, so let's go through this. 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside the myths. Sound doctrine is not going to be popular. People don't want to hear that God created the world and he's going to be the judge of the world. They want to subscribe to the myth that somehow we just evolved through evolution and that people can do whatever they want to do. People don't want to hold to the truth that they're sinners and that sin separates them from God. They want to believe the myth of of their own self-esteem. They want to believe in the inherent goodness of man. People don't want to hold to the truth that the only way to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead, they'll say, well, there's lots of ways, and Christianity is just one of many. Jesus was just another good teacher. People don't want to hear that life is sacred, that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, and that the scripture is the word of God. Instead, what do they want? They want tolerance, they want relativity. So what you want, what you're looking for, what you want to be, people who hold to the truth, okay? Not giving away to the myths and the false teachings that come along in culture, okay? Uh, So that's verse 5. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry, the, the second thing he focuses on, he tells them, is to endure hardship. You have, eh, it depends on whether or not you like the snow. In some cases, this has been a bad ice season, hasn't it? We got broken arms slipping on the ice over here. We got hop along, broken leg and an ankle there back there, slipping on the ice. Uh... Many accidents in cars, but that's not quite the hardship I have in mind. Most part, preaching and being here is good experiences. But occasionally, there's going to be those times when I got to have that difficult conversation. Maybe there's an affair going on, or maybe there's some kind of immorality or just some Different behavior going on. Those are the days that, that I wake up knowing I got to have those conversations. Those are the days I wish I was still putting in glass somewhere else. But those things have to happen. Sometimes ministry is hard, and you want a minister who's going to be able to endure those hardships. The second thing he said that we just read is do the work of an evangelist. See, a lot of people today, they want to subscribe to the just be a good person syndrome. The idea that, man, talking about Christ can be hard because it's awkward at work and then there's a lot of baggage that comes with that because people may ask you things you don't know the answer to and they may come and attack you and you don't know any defense for it. So a lot of people just subscribe to the be a good person plan. They're this sincere, secretive disciple. Don Whitney, he's a professor at seminary uh, Southern Seminary. He talks about a guy who never really attended church, but then he goes to church one Sunday. He becomes a Christian. Makes a commitment. The next day at work, people ask him, how was your weekend? He's just telling everybody. I went to church. I made a commitment to become a Christ follower. And He tells people about his, his faith in Christ. And he gets all around the office. Then the boss calls him in. And he's thinking, you know, what's the boss going to say? You shouldn't talk about this in the workplace. But the boss calls him in, he congratulates him. He says, "Well, I've been praying for you for years. I'm so glad for your decision to become a Christ follower." And the new believer says, "What? You're a Christian? You're the reason I almost didn't become a Christian." And you think that he's going to say, it's because you're such a terrible boss. Because you're so cruel. You take advantage of people. You don't really care about us at all. But he says this. He says, no, you're the best person I know. You're the best boss I ever had. You actually love people. You care about your employees. You want them to do their best. I wanted to be like you. And I thought, if you can be a good person like that without Christ, why do I need Christ? You see, sometimes that be a good person plan, sometimes that can lead people to ask questions, but sometimes it can push people away. And I'm not saying go to your work tomorrow and, and get fired because you're, you're, you're just basically annoying all the people in your workplace. And I'm not saying that you should force feed people your testimony, but you should be looking for opportunities opportunities to witness, opportunities to speak up. And when they come, don't be afraid to save Christ. Don't be saved. say what Jesus has done for you. Now, the next thing he says, and what we just read in that list is fulfill your ministry. This is where we're going to take some time because there's other three things. Sure, that's for ministers, but that could be for anybody. But when he's talking about Timothy fulfilling his ministry, he's talking about him being the pastor of a church so back I think it was three weeks ago two or three weeks ago Al calls me up says slipped on ice broke my leg my ankle foot can you teach for me Sunday I said sure what passage because we go through chapters every time I said what's the passage he goes first Thessalonians 2 I've got notes do you want them no I'm good I can handle that. You see, back in seminary, I'm in my second year of Greek. And I can't remember if it was a third or fourth semester. But anyway, uh, my Greek professor, what he did to teach us Greek is to go through the book of 1 Thessalonians. My final exam, I walk into it in that class. And he's going through every verse in First Thessalonians. And he's picking a word or a phrase. And he wants us to do the Greek thing with that, whatever he's asking us to do in the Greek. Finals are supposed to last just two hours. After two hours, nobody's moved in the class. Nobody's, nobody's come near finishing. Then you have an hour between the end of that, t- and that final and your next final. Well, that hour goes by. Now, me and a few other people say, "Look, can I go and tell my next professor we're going to be late? Because now we're over three hours." I'll never forget that final because he just asked for so much every verse in First Thessalonians. Needless to say, going through that class and that final, I knew First Thessalonians in the Greek is about as well as I did the English. Now, suffice to say, I haven't gone over that in years, so I can't say it anymore. But let me tell you about 1 Thessalonians because it made an impression on me having to, although at first it wasn't a good impression taking that final, but it did make an impression on me. In 1 Thessalonians 2, let me give you a little bit of background. There are a lot of pastoral leaders and, and so-called pastors in that day that really for out, they were out for their own gain. Uh, they were out to uh, Maybe greed was motivating them, maybe morality was motivating them, different things. And it became easy to sort of lump Paul in with that group. So what Paul's doing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's defending himself. He's saying, let me share with you my heart as a pastor. And in doing so, we don't have just a list of qualifications like you see in Titus and and, and, and uh, back in Timothy uh, in First Timothy, you have sort of what does that look like in real life? See, Paul wants him to say, "You know me." In fact, in verse one, he says, "You yourselves know." Verse two, "As you know." Verse five, "As you know." Uh, verse nine, "You remember." Verse ten, "You are witnesses." Verse eleven, he says, "As you know again," he wants us to know. What is it that he wants us to know? And what is it that you should know about your next minister? Well, you should be praying for. Here's where we go in, in, in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you, was not, with you was not without result. In other words, we had a purpose in our coming. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, God had a purpose in bringing me here. And God has a purpose in sending me to another place. Your pastor should not be one who just shows up and say, Well, any old job will do. He ought to know he has a purpose. So you ought to be praying for a pastor who has a purpose to be here. He's here because of the call of God. Verse 2: On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So he has great confidence in God's word. He knows it has the power to change people's lives. It's what you read in Romans 1.16 where in paraphrasing it says, you overcome the shame when you understand the power. You need a minister who has a confidence in God's word to change people's lives. Next, for our exhortation didn't come from error, impurity, or intent to deceive. There was no error. In other words, we gave you a clear explanation of the Word of God. We laid out the Word of God clearly to you. And there was no impurity. That has a, a sexual connotation to it. So there wasn't any immorality going on. Or he says there wasn't any deceit. There wasn't any trying to manipulate things. There wasn't any trying to uh, look at things uh, from a different, point, different viewpoint to twist things at all. There wasn't any of that going on, so there wasn't any manipulation going on. The next verse, instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. What's his motivation? I know God is examining my heart. Look, I have a degree from LSU. I have a degree from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I could go totally dumb tomorrow. They're not going to come take those degrees away. But you let a pastor begin to to spiritually get off base, to begin to reject God, to reject his lead, to reject the Holy Spirit spiritually, God's going to take care of that. God will deal with that. See, almost in every profession, you can do that profession. It doesn't matter where you're at spiritually. A lawyer can plead his case. A doctor can operate. A mechanic can repair. It doesn't matter where they're at spiritually. They can still do that. But you let a pastor become spiritually haywire, God's going to deal with that. James 3.1 says, don't let many of you become teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. Remember Moses? Striking the rock, that was not good. Very disrespectful. But Israel had done things worse than that over and over and over again. But as soon as Moses strikes that rock, God goes, no promised land for you. Because leaders incur a stricter judgment. You know what that means? That means a lot of times I look at you guys, I'm jealous. Because you can get by with things I can't get by with. You can do things and, and you know, yes, God's going to discipline you. He's going to do that. But I try and do some of that stuff, it's God's going to deal with you. God examines our hearts. Then he says this. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. We didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. We told you what you needed to hear. If I go to the doctor... To get a checkup, and a doctor, he finds what he suspects cancer, but at the end of the checkup, he just looks at me and says, "You're fine. See you next year." Six months later, I'm dead. That doctor didn't do me any favors. He told me what he thought, what he thought I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. That's flattering speech. He also says there wasn't any greedy motives. Paul didn't get on the Macedonian cable network and say, Give now to the Pauline to ministry and help us stay afloat and bring in $14 million and go spend $2 million on a condo in Hawaii. He says, You know, there wasn't any of that. So you want a pastor who's going to tell you like it is, tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And he's not out to be rich. And quite frankly, I would have stayed in the glass business if I wanted to get rich. Hell storms are great for that. And they have a lot of them in Texas. The next verse, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. We didn't seek to be put on a pedestal. See, some pastors, they want to to sort of be on that pedestal. They want to, for people to look at them and go, oh, man, just just speak and, and we'll obey. But the minute I have to say do this because I'm the pastor, I'm not. See, we're called to submit to the leaders, but that's a willing submission. It's like in Ephesians where it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." Husbands will use that to browbeat their wives. No, no, no. That's written to wives, not the husbands. They have to choose to do that. So, a pastor's—you uh, don't want your pastor to look to, to be put on a pedestal, so that you know his his. Whatever his, his whims are, that's what you try and satisfy. And then the next verse. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures his own, her own children. We care so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. So we were among you like night and day, like a mother and her children. Now, suppose I was going to go down to the nursery and see all those little kids down there and the babies and all that's down there in the nursery and say, look, you guys, all you do is Whine cry, want your diaper changed, want your nose wiped. You got three weeks to either shape up or ship out. But mothers, they do that stuff. They do the midnight feedings, the two o'clock in the morning feedings, the, the diaper changes, the blowout diaper changes. They, they wipe the noses and they do that and they're okay with that. Why? Because that's their child. They're, they're giving life. They're nurturing that child. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I was among you like a mother. Sometimes it was like wiping noses. Sometimes it was like changing diapers. But I was among you like a mother and her child. Why? Because you were so dear to us. See, you want a pastor who looks at you and goes, whoa, that's my family. That's my my children. But not only was, was Paul like a mother, he was also like a father. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conduct ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encourage, comforted, and implore each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So sometimes he was like a father. Sometimes he's encouraging them. This is the way to live in the Christian life. Sometimes he was comforting them. Hang in there. I know it's tough. Keep going. Sometimes he was imploring them. You can do this. I know you can do this. So you need to be praying for a pastor who's among you like a mother and like a father. One who who nurtures you like your very own child and one who's ready to to give you direction, to help you out in your walk. But guess what? Everything that we set up to this point that almost becomes worthless if we don't follow what comes next. Here's verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as human message, but as it, is truly, as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. See, all that greed Paul avoided all that impurity he didn't have any part of, all that nurturing like a mother and, and being like a father, all that error he refused to, to teach, all that uh, flattering speech he avoided, he told them what they needed to hear, all that even have a purpose in his coming, all that would have been nothing if that hadn't have been true, if they had accepted what he said as the word of God. See, They they said, this is the word of God. We're going to allow it to penetrate our hearts and change our lives. What you want and what you need to understand when you have a pastor is you want him to give you the word of God. Not just anything will do, but this is what God has given him to tell you. When the pastor speaks, he's given you the word of God. Now, I know that sounds arrogant. I've sat where you sat. And I've heard pastors say that before. The one I remember is when uh, in Shreveport, and he said, come back next week, and I have a word of God to give you. I thought, that's kind of arrogant. But then, hey, I expect the very same thing from you. If you're serving, if you're teaching, if you're, if you're doing administrative stuff, if you're changing diapers, if you're doing that, what I want you to do is do that the way that the Holy Spirit flows through you. I expect you to use your gifts to do all those things as a result of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life. Just like it should the pastor. So when you see this, that the pastor's up here giving you the word of God, that's not, oh, you know, but you're just a man. No, this is God going through the shepherd to give to the sheep what they need to hear. That's what you want your other pastor to do, don't you? Don't you want him to give you the word of God? That's what the pastor is to do. And that's no more of an expectation than, than I expect of each of you, whatever gift you have. I expect it to be the result of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life in the same way. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So what does... Let's go back and let's read this one more time because we're going to go through this section by section real quick. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. There's some expectations here that the shepherd has of the sheep. Number one is this, to appreciate or recognition. In other words, let them know they're valued. Sheep should let the shepherd know we value you. Secondly, regard them highly. Literally means uh, uh, hold or, or above all else. Okay? The, to, I mean, they, they are highly esteemed, but, but, it's, a, but it's, it's a and now see now I'm forgetting to agree. It's a big exact, it's to the point of exaggeration. Why do you do this? Why do you hold them in high esteem above all else? Because they have such a good personality? No, he says because of their work. And then the third thing for sheep to do to their shepherd is to be at peace with one another because nothing can tear apart a shepherd's heart more than disunity. But also in this, we see responsibility of shepherd to the sheep. The first one is labor among you. In other words, you're to work hard. A shepherd is to work hard. Work hard at what? Preaching and teaching. He goes on and says also to admonish you. The idea is to give instruction. See, the one trait that a pastor is to have above all else is to be able to preach and teach. 1 Timothy 3, 2, An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. 1 Timothy five seventeen, The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Titus 1.9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. See, the thing you need to respect and you need to to expect and start praying for in your next pastor is somebody, man, he works hard at preaching and teaching. One last verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who have given account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So you obey and submit to them. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls. They're concerned about not just the now, but about eternity and your souls, what, that's, what that, your soul is going to look like in the coming of Christ Jesus. And they do what? They keep watch. What does keep watch mean? If someone's keeping watch, what do you think that's going on? They're losing sleep. See, a pastor will stay up at night thinking about your spiritual health. That's different. You're in college. You don't turn the paper in. That professor's not going to lose any sleep. He's just going to go through the alphabet, A, B, C, D, F, find that last one, F, put it there. grade by your mark, and he's going to go right to sleep. So it's not going to bother him a bit. That banker, you default on a loan, car, house, he's just going to put out the repo paper, sign his name, put it in, he's going to go right to sleep. But a pastor, no. That, that pulls at his heart. That's something that, that he, he stays up thinking about. So he says, obey and submit to your leaders. Why? Because that would be unprofitable for you if you didn't do it. Uh, in other words, that's unwise for you not to follow your spiritual leaders. So listen, there are some times when the people can be disappointed to the pastor, but it's also times when a pastor can disappoint the people. And sometimes a pastor can be off and be in sin. And if that's the case, Scripture lays out how to deal with that very specifically because people are always trying to keep things worked up. So there's a specific way to deal with that. So as I finish up, let me tell you today how to get rid of your next pastor. All right? See, I knew this would excite you. How do you get rid of your next pastor? When he gets up to preach. You focus, you listen, you let him know how his words have changed your life. And you know what? In just a couple of months, he'll preach himself to death and he'll be gone. Because that's that's got him so excited. And so he just go, oh, I got to prepare for next time. I got to prepare, I got to prepare. And he's going to want to preach himself to death. How about this one? You want to get rid of your pastor? then you get involved in ministry. You start serving. You start teaching. You start getting involved. Don't let there be things that your pastor does because nobody else will. No, you come along and you say, I want to do that. I want to be the person who does that. And what's going to happen then? I'll tell you what. He's going to be so overwhelmed with delight, he's going to have a heart attack. Amen. All right. Third way. To get rid of your next pastor. Get down on your knees. You pray for him. You pray that that God's spirit will be upon him and God will use him. And then some other church will come along and take him off your hands and he'll be gone. So. Finishing up. There's never been a time when I felt like my job was in jeopardy. There's never been a time when I felt like I didn't have the support of the leaders of the church. There's never been a time where where I or my family just resented being in ministry. Maybe once, but not more than once. Back when I was in college, I was part of a guys' group. We met at 6.30 every Tuesday morning to have our little group time Bible study together. And I still remember... As we're going through that, in this little book that we were going through, it said, what are your goals in life? Name your goals in life. And I thought about that. I did just whip some. I thought about that. I said, my first one was to get married. My second one was to own my own business. And my third was to be a good Bible teacher. Well, I got married, had my own business. And every day, I get to come and study the Bible. And you guys pay me to do that. Wow. You can't ask for anything better than that. So while leaving here will be sad, we're not unhappy. We've been blessed. And we look forward to what God has for the future. Yes, it's sad leaving family. But, oh, what God has not only for us, but what God has for you. If, if you will begin praying for your next pastor If you don't just say, oh, we'll leave that out to the search committee. We'll just let them do their job. But you begin praying for that. If your leaders, your deacons, your staff, in the meantime, they become a people who who, who are engaged and and you look up to your deacons as your leaders in this interim time and and you you treat them like you would a pastor as as leaders in this church and you, you encourage them, you pray for them. And as you begin praying that, God, this is what we want of our next pastor, we want him to have a purpose in being here. We don't want him given any error or or impurity or deceit. We're not going to put him on a pedestal. We're we're not going to want to hear flattering speech, and we want him to stay away from greed. And we expect to hear from him the word of God. And we're going to esteem him. We're going to give honor to him. We're going to appreciate him. We're going to recognize him. And we are going to do our part in ministry. You do those things. You start praying now for those things. Okay? You want your next pastor to reflect 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To be like a mother and like a father among you. To wipe your snotty noses sometimes, change those dirty diapers. But to do it, why? Because you're so dear to Him. You want that sheep shepherd relationship. That's what you pray for. That's what you pray for. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.